Welcome to Gay Mystery Podcast, featuring interviews with renowned LGBTQ authors and up-and-coming talent of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. I'm your host, Brad Shreve, and Justine Adamick is here with her weekly recommendation. My guest is going to be Richard Stevenson today, and it was a fun conversation I had with him. But before that, we have Justine with her weekly recommendation. Hi, Brad. How are you today? Yeah, I am doing okay today. And it's, <laughs> no, uh, pandemic's gotten to you, huh? The pandemic has gotten to me. I'm going stir crazy. Uh, I look outside and it's a blue, beautiful blue day, and I'm thinking I should be outside. I could do that. So maybe yeah. I'll go for a walk. But uh, other than that, I'm feeling like the walls are closing in on me. That's right. That's but right. actually, it's no, I'm sorry. Good. For our listeners, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> yeah yeah that's it well by the time they hear this you will be back to fantastic exactly those, those those pandemic blues don't last very long no they don't so what you got for us i have a book by edward kendrick now i have read uh several edward, edward kendrick books over the years uh, and i went and i looked to see just how many books he'd done because i wasn't sure i'd read all of them i probably read about oh eight ten Turns out he's got, I started counting and I stopped counting at 40 books. He has been very prolific. He's been writing since 2011 and he's got something in there for everybody. You know, he's got some, some shifter books. He's got some romances, some erotica, but he does some really good mysteries. And his newest mystery is called New Man in Town. And it's a, it's a uh, traditional cozy mystery. A cozy. Wiley moves. Wiley moves to a new town. He's he's was a part owner in a PI agency, gives it up, feeling burnt out. His grandfather left him a house, so he moves to this small town where his grandfather lives, takes over the house, and shortly after he gets there, a woman goes missing, and then a few days later another woman goes missing, and he's the prime suspect. And even though, you know, he didn't do it, that you know the the Suspects were all the the town. Anybody in town, including the police chief, uh, could be guilty. And it's it's got that traditional cozy mystery setup, you know, really, you know, a little romance, but it's not you know not affecting the story. Uh, no sex, which is you know a good mainstay of cozy mysteries. He's got his neighbor that helps him. Gary lives two doors down, and he's also got Carl who is the local jack-of-all-trades who has been painting his living room and pulling up his carpet, and Carl's a older, gruff, straight man. And the three of them make a, a nice little investigative team, and they set out to solve the mystery. A little bit of danger, a uh, lot of more intrigue, a little bit of romance, and a lot of good repartee between uh, the three men. The, uh, go ahead. It sounds like a cozy that goes a little bit beyond. Uh, maybe, but I got to say, you know, books that uh, stretch the cozy mystery have been pretty regular in the gay mystery category. We've got Marshall Thornton's uh, Pink series, which is a cozy, but, you know, doesn't always fit the exact mold. You've got those Mr. Puss uh, uh, mysteries by Michael right. Kraft. That, you know, the cat's kind of sort of maybe telling, talking to its owner. 
Um, so they've all kind of stretched the boundaries of the traditional English cozy. Right. But still fall within the main rules. I give this one a crackerjack mystery. Uh, it hits on all on all fronts. A little nutty, a little sweet, a little salty, a little crunchy. Just a crackerjack mystery. I think it's been a while since we've had a crackerjack. Yeah, we it has been. It has been. It was a very easy, straightforward, fun read. Very quick read. Uh, it's it's a good time, and I think people will be happy they picked it up. And then you can uh, pick up any one of uh, Edward Kendrick's. 40 of the books, but uh, you know, his name really ought to be better known within the mystery circle than it is. Yeah. 40 books. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. And do you have anything from Recruit Tales this week? Well, you know, Recruit Tales has a lot of uh, names you should know. We, we've been publishing Grant Michaels books and his Stan Krejcik series. We've done uh, uh, the first two Lev Raphael State University of Murder mystery series and we've got nikki baker her, her book has just come out her second book the lavender house mystery and we, all of our mysteries are available on kindle unlimited so you can pick them up and read them as many as you can those are some of the greats so if you haven't read those i would definitely pick one up yeah i've been working my that's why i haven't been reading a lot of the newer novels i've been going through some of the older ones yeah it's really and you know we've I've done a mix of classics and new novels uh, on, on the recommendations that I've been doing. So people have a wide range to choose from. Well, just sit back and, and listen to Richard Stevenson. Sounds wonderful. See you next week. Thanks. See you next week. That's Justine. We're sponsored by Requeer Tales, preserving our LGBTQ literary heritage one book at a time. Check them out at requeeredtales.com. In 1962, Richard Stevenson fled grad school and joined the Peace Corps for five years. After that, he ran the anti-poverty program in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and later became, became a freelance writer. He wrote for magazines and newspapers, including 15 years as an editorial writer at the Berkshire Eagle in Pittsburgh, Massachusetts. He won New England AP Press Association Award for editorials on gay marriage. He has been reviewing books regularly for the Washington Post for many years and continues to do so. Richard has two adult children from a previous marriage. He's been with Joe Wheaton, a sculptor and video artist since 1990, and they married in 2004, the first day it was legal in Massachusetts. Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on Gay Mystery Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I've got to tell you, your bio is fascinating, but we're not going to talk about you right away. We're going to start off with the man himself, Donald Strachey. Okay. The latest, the latest Strachey novel, Killer Reunion, is the 16th in the series. Tell us about him. Who is Donald Strachey? Uh, he's uh, somebody who sprung into my hot little brain in uh, 1979 and 80 when I thought that there was a need for a gay mystery private eye uh, who was going to uh, be in tune with the zeitgeist of the late 70s, which was gay liberation, political liberation, 
and uh, a rejection of the way uh, in particular in which gay people had been portrayed in fiction and especially genre fiction and particularly mysteries up to that point, uh, which was that uh, we were always uh, uh, pathetic victims and uh, often were expected to commit suicide if we weren't murdered. And uh, we were a pretty sorry lot in mysteries up until that time, except, of course, for uh, Joseph Hansen's Dave Branstetter mysteries, which really uh, broke that old mold. Uh, but uh, his, his were pretty solemn, and I wanted uh, to create a character that was more reflective of the high spirits uh, of the uh, late 70s and early 80s. And uh, uh, so I, I, I made up Strachey. I basically, uh, you know, uh, I read Gregory MacDonald, uh, where I got some of the likeness of the social comedy, and I read Raymond Chandler, uh, if you read uh, Death Trick, the first novel in the Strachey series, you'll see that uh, the opening scene, uh, as as a friend pointed out, I didn't even realize it at the time, is a, almost a plagiarism of the opening scene of The Big Sleep. So uh, Strachey uh, served uh, that purpose in uh, gay lit for me. And uh, also, uh, he was a kind of alter ego for me and lived a life that I like to fantasize about uh, when I was writing the books. Well, you, you mentioned to me that you have a plan for a pandemic era Strachey novel to release next year. Um, <laughs> it's a big uh, maybe. That's, that's the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. I know how that goes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, no. The reason, uh, the, the reason I brought ahead. it up is next year is the 40th anniversary of the series. and. Right. I'm curious about the timeline over those 40 years. How much time has passed in Strachey's life? Well, not very much. Uh, a number of readers have pointed this out. Uh, I made him my age uh, when the book came out, which was a little past 40. And the idea was that uh, Strachey and his boyfriend from the very beginning, Timothy Callahan, would age at the same rate that I aged. But my editor at St. Martin's at the time Michael Denity uh, was very clear. Uh, he said, uh, no, your readers are not going to want to read about some old fart detective. And uh, so uh, you, you, you can't age these guys. So I didn't. And in the, la the most recent book, uh, Killer Reunion, uh, there's just a passing mention that uh, 40 year, almost 40 years later, they're only in their mid-50s. So... Uh, uh, eventually, I think I, I will. Uh, you know, I'm 81 myself, and I, I know what uh, aging uh, looks like. Oh, I've been, you know, pretty lucky so far, but uh, there's always next week. And uh, I think eventually uh, I will have them have my characters face some of the uh, difficulties and pleasures of aging. But, but for the moment, they're still in their uh, sprightly mid-50s. Well, you, you made it a little more real than Sue Grafton did. Her whole series, A through W, or A through Y, Kinsey Milhone, or Milhorn, I can never remember her name exactly. Right. Her character only aged, like, I think, three years over that whole period. I know. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a lot of detective work in a very short amount of time. Uh, it, it sure is. Uh, I, have, I haven't quite managed uh, to come up with that much uh, chutzpah 
as a uh, as a writer. Well, in 1981, um, when Death Trick came out, Donald and his partner Timothy Callahan, I found this very interesting uh, when I read the novel that they aren't strictly monogamous, which some readers were surprised of. I read in some of the re- reviews, but I believe it was true to the era. So, how has their relationship changed and developed over that time? Uh, they they did uh, as couples struggle over the whole question of monogamy or not in the early books, and then later on, as they become became more secure with each other, it just wasn't an issue anymore. There, there wasn't much that went on uh, outside the relationship, although in uh, one of the books, uh, the thirty eight million dollars smile which is set in Thailand. Uh, there's some really interesting scenes uh, where they visit a gay bathhouse in uh, Bangkok. But for, for the most part, uh, as they have aged uh, into their, uh, <laughs> their 50s, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, it, it just isn't a big deal anymore. It, it just doesn't uh, come up as an issue. Uh, you know, it's one of those issues that every uh, uh, every gay couple uh, thinks about, talks about, and has rules about, and uh, they they've managed to uh, work it out very comfortably uh, over the years. It's just not a big deal. Donald and Timothy spent some time in Bangkok, and I know you and Joe frequently go to Bangkok. Is it every year that you go? Uh, we we have gone uh, every year, almost every year, for the last uh, 14 years, for two or three or four months. And we have friends there. And we, uh, we we love uh, Thailand and love Bangkok, and uh, it's just one of the one of the most wonderful places uh, in, in the world. And it looks as though we won't be going uh, this coming uh, winter because of the virus. Uh, first of all, the Thais, uh, I'm sure, will not let us in. Uh, they are not letting anybody in, and Americans in particular are practically lepers uh, in the world now because of the way the virus has been mishandled here. So uh, I think we won't be going this year, but I hope we'll be able to go the following year. It's a great place uh, to be gay. Ties are pretty comfortable uh, with it. Uh, there, there, there are some old Chinese Thai families that are more conservative, but by and large, uh, the Thais pretty uh, easygoing people uh, in uh, most areas of life. They, the, the society works. People get their work done, but they have a uh, belief in the importance of sanuk, is the Thai word, which means fun, but it also it doesn't mean just fun, but it means Get up in the morning and do what you need to do and enjoy it as uh, thoroughly as possible with other people. So uh, that, that's what draws us there. Plus, oops, plus of course, the uh, climate uh, in the winter. The New England winters are uh, not so great, as uh, uh, some of your listeners will know. I grew up in Michigan. I remember them well, and, and I'm very glad to be in Los Angeles. Uh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, we're going to talk more about you, Richard, but um, I wanted to bring up that you've had the honor of being a writer of gay fiction who's had stories were adapted for film on Here TV. It was four of the Donald Strachey novels. Is that correct? Uh, That's right. Four of them uh, were filmed. Uh, This was about eight to ten years ago, and they're they're available. You can uh, uh, look them up and get hold of them or even find them on Here TV is the 
entity on which they appeared. It's a, a rather uh, small, limited, obscure cable channel that doesn't appear on many uh, many systems. And uh, they did four. They did uh, Third Man Out, Ice Blues, Shock of the System, and uh, one other one whose name escapes me. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a uh, you know a mixed experience for me. Uh, the great Lawrence Block said that when you're any of your books are filmed, uh, you can't really expect them once they appear on the screen to be your book. It just you know the whole vocabulary, the whole structure, the whole way of uh, putting a narrative together is just too different. But what you can hope for is that they will be any good. And uh, of the four that were done, I would say one was uh, good enough and uh, two were uh, not good at all. And one uh, I have not looked at, Ice Blues. It's one of my favorite books in the series. And some friends said, don't look. It's just so awful. <laughs> and uh, other friends said, oh, it's really the best uh, of the four. So I'm, I'm uh, torn about that. The one thing I will say is that even though the scripts were awful, I had nothing to do with it. They kept me at a long arm's length. Uh, the scripts were awful, and a lot of other things were awful. They looked as though they'd been made for about a dollar eighty-five or something. But uh, Chad Allen as Strachey was really just perfect. Uh, he's not the Strachey in my head, but he's a kind of now alternative Strachey that I sometimes see in my head when I'm writing because uh, he was so good and brought such talent and uh, humanity and intelligence uh, to the role. So. Uh, I, I, I was lucky that that happened. I didn't make much money. It was a real, they were a bunch of cheapskates, that company. Uh, but uh, it sold some books. Uh, it introduced the books to a whole new uh, generation of readers. And uh, overall, uh, I, I, I'm glad it happened. Yeah, Lawrence Block, who is one of my absolute favorite uh, mystery writers, uh, his character, Bernie Rodenbar in the Burglar series, was made into a movie called Burglar, and they changed Bernie into Bernice, and it starred Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I don't know why they did it, but I'm not a screenwriter. I don't make movies. I write books. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, Raymond Chandler. Somebody said to Raymond Chandler, uh, isn't it awful, Mr. Chandler, what Hollywood has done with your books? And he said, Hollywood does, didn't do anything to my books. They're right up there on the shelf. So uh, that's that's basically uh, a good way of looking at it. That is a good way to look at it. And I do want to let people know, or, and yourself know, it, I guess it is on Here TV, which is not in a lot of markets. But I also found it on YouTube, and it's not free on YouTube. You have to pay extra for it. Oh. But if anybody wants to see the movies, they're there. It's yeah, I would say uh, the one to watch, uh, if you're going to watch any, is the first one, uh, Third Man Out. I, the book, I think, is one of the best in the series, and uh, the movie was pretty good, too. It was The, the script for that one was written by a uh, friend, Mark Salzman, and, and he did a great job. And uh, we're going to talk more about you now. And in the intro, I said that you left grad, grad school in 1962 and worked in the Peace Corps for five years. But you said the, the first two years were teaching English in Ethiopia, and that was the best thing you ever did. Do tell. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Uh, 
Yeah, I was uh, in grad school at Penn State, and uh, I always wanted to write, but you know, you, you can't just announce to the world that you're a writer and get a job doing that. And, uh, and I sort of uh, thought I might like to teach too, but the thing I was feeling most severely was uh, the need to uh, be connected to the larger world. I had volunteered for JFK uh, when he ran uh, for president as a college student. I, I went door to door and, you know, was sort of caught up in the whole idea of the United States uh, connecting with uh, the larger world in some, you know, useful and good way. And I wasn't sure that I had the skills that were needed, uh, but I went out and uh, the recruiter came to Penn State and I said, do you need English teachers? And she said, oh, yes. And so uh, less than a year later, I found myself in rural Ethiopia and uh, it was it was great. It was hard. It was complicated, um, but it did what it uh, what I wanted it to do, which was to make me feel as though I was doing something useful and at the same time uh, contributing to my own uh, education of the world and of the people of the world. And it was terrific. And then after two years, I was very lucky to get a job uh, back operating out of Peace Corps headquarters in Washington as a program evaluator, which meant I uh, traveled around the world throughout Africa and Asia, peering over the shoulders of other Peace Corps volunteers to see what they were doing and how they were doing and uh, what they thought about what they were doing, and then uh, trying to find ways to improve the uh, programming and recruiting and training and so forth. So uh, that was my, uh, you know, my formal education, uh, I do value. I had some wonderful teachers over the years, but uh, my Peace Corps experience was my uh, greatest education. And I gave Timmy in the Strachey books uh, uh, a Peace Corps background. He was in the Peace Corps in India, which is one of the countries that I visited uh, when I was an evaluator. So it's been one of the central and enduring good things in my life. Sounds like an awesome opportunity. I'm glad you took advantage of it. Yeah. Well, we're going to uh, now it's time for awkward questions that authors get. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't warn you about this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to spin a wheel. And when it's done, we're going to get a question that sometimes authors get that are, they can be just plain awkward. They may take us aback. uh, Uh And sometimes they may be downright rude. So Uh uh, rudeness, uh, I have some experience uh, with uh, rudeness. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I hope I don't have to be rude back. Oh, no. We'll see. We'll see if you get a rude one. Okay. Sit here, and I'm going to spin the wheel. Okay. Your question, I can uh, safely say, is not a rude one. I'm relieved. (laughs) In fact, it's not too hard. The question is, why don't you get a real job? (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, well, the answer is too late now. Uh, I, I did have a real job. Uh, well, uh, my Peace Corps jobs were real jobs. And uh, when I uh, ran the uh, Community Action Agency in Pittsfield, Massachusetts in the late 60s, that was, that was a real, real job. Uh, but since then, uh, I've been lucky 
to uh, have uh, survived as a, a freelancer. Uh, you know, now I'm on Social Security, and uh, it, it's uh, it's also it's worked out okay. So uh, too late for that. I, I went to a high school reunion uh, at, in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, several years ago, and uh, one of my classmates from the class of 1956 asked me if I was retired, and I said, "From what?" <laughs> <laughs> And and luckily, uh, I, I don't feel any need to uh, retire from whatever it is I've been doing all these years. Uh, I still have my marbles and some energy and uh, plan to keep at it. No real job for me. Well, I think I think many of your jobs were real jobs, including uh, writing itself. And you've done that well over the years. Well, I, I've been uh, lucky enough to uh, get away with it. You know, I arrived on the gay mystery scene at just the right time uh, in the uh, early 80s when uh, there was a readership and a demand and publishers, mainstream publishers, were, uh, you know, paying decent money. And, uh, you know, now it's all changed and everybody's struggling and uh, the market is fragmented and all that. So I, I really feel extremely lucky to have been there at just the right time. And I, my heart goes out to people who are struggling to uh, do it now. They're the ones that have to get real jobs. Uh, sorry. I'm sure you were very close to Donald Strachey after all these years. Uh, but is there a reason you haven't written another series during your career? Well, funny you should mention that. Uh, I actually am starting uh, it, it my, in my advanced state of decomposition another series. Uh, I have written a private eye novel with a private eye, uh, Clifford Waterman, set in Philadelphia in 1947. And I finished it uh, not too long ago, and I'm now, uh, it's sort of out there. We'll see what happens. I mean, I mean out there being looked at by uh, publishers and agents and people like that. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I had a gay uncle who lived in Philadelphia in that era, and he never came out to the family. And I only learned about his being gay later on. And I got very curious about his life in uh, Philadelphia in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And so I did a lot of research and then was uh, impelled to write a mystery uh, set in that time and place, uh, partly because uh, it just seemed like a great situation for a noirish private eye story, what with the corrupt and brutal police department and the corrupt court system and the homophobia in hiring and all the rest of it. It, 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 it seemed uh, just wanting uh, a, a gay private eye to show up in that setting. Uh, and he's not like Strachey at all, and he couldn't be because uh, Strachey's head is in the you know, late 70s, and this guy's head really is in the late 40s. And uh, gay people's heads at that time were very different. So he struggles. Cliff Waterman struggles with uh, being a, a rational man in an irrational homophobic place. And uh, so uh, I'm hopeful about that uh, getting uh, out into the world uh, in the coming year or so. We'll see. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting. Totally different feel to it, I'm sure. It was a dangerous time. Yep. 
Yeah. Always looking over their shoulder. Uh, the research was uh, interesting. I was very lucky. Uh, a guy named Mark Stein wrote a, uh, a book that came out maybe 20, 25 years ago for Temple University Press called uh, City of Sisterly and Brotherly Loves, Gay Philadelphia, 1940 to 1972, something like that. And uh, it was full of the, he did interviews, so it was full of the voices of the time of people remembering what it was like. And uh, it was so useful. And then I, I did other research too, and really got into the feeling and uh, the atmospherics of the time. So I'm hopeful about that. And it was uh, uh, something that uh, I was apprehensive about starting. I thought, oh, if I start this, is it just going to sound exactly like Strachey? And it didn't. You know, the situation re had other requirements, and I observed them. So uh, anyway, here's hoping. Well, I look forward to it. So in Keller Reunion, Donald and Timothy have to contend with a family reunion. It's uh, Timothy's family, I believe. And yep. they're, it, it's a politically outspoken relatives that they're dealing with. Something tells me today's political climate inspired much of that fighting in the novel. Well, well, you're very keen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually uh, attended a family reunion in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, a couple of years ago. And uh, all the members of my family that I know of are, uh, you know, liberal Democrats. And some remote cousins that we had not never been in touch with, somebody discovered them in Cincinnati, uh, connected with the family and wanted to come to the reunion. And they, and they did. And it turned out they were Trump supporters and it was very awkward. And anyway, that got me to thinking that what if there's a family reunion? And I think more typically there are families that are more evenly divided. And I thought, well, what if there's a family reunion where the Trump people and the anti-Trump people really get at, get into it and there's a murder and is the murder really just political or is there old family stuff going on here or what's it about and i came up with a plot and uh, it was great fun to write it was set in a country inn uh where the family gets together uh in the berkshires where i live in western massachusetts and uh it's called killer reunion and it's the most recent book in the series and uh, uh it's fun I think I'll have a link to the book in the show notes so people can uh, take a look at it. Oh, thank you. Have you been politically active over the years? Uh, we have actually, uh, you know, been serious about it. And we were deeply involved in Berkshire Stonewall Community Coalition for many years, uh, especially in the gay marriage battles in Massachusetts, which became highly politicized. And we won that. And we've also volunteered uh, for uh, John Kerry and Obama. And last year, uh, or three years ago, we went to New Hampshire for Hillary. Uh, you know, Trump said, he said, oh, there are all those illegals being bussed into New Hampshire to vote. Well, they weren't going up there to vote. They were people like us who were going up to in buses to knock on doors. And uh, so anyway, yeah. And this year, you know, we'll do it again. Uh, uh, you know, uh, need, need I say more? Uh, uh, all our lives depend on it. It's going to be a busy year for a lot of us, that's for sure. 
Yep. Yep. What do you uh, find is the hardest thing about writing? Oh boy. Uh, well, getting started, you know, there's that terrifying blank page when you think, Oh, I don't remember how to do this. You know, that first, first page and you think, Oh, it's as though I've never done this before. And, uh, uh, that, that's the hardest part. Uh, once I get going, uh, it's not hard, but, uh, you know, having some kind of clear or semi clear idea of how to start is, is the hardest part for me. Uh, you mentioned earlier that I was, uh, working on, you might even have said a new straighty book set in the pandemic era. And I have to say that all I have is a bunch of little slips of notes on the backs of Dunkin' Donuts receipts and things like that. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's that time again when, uh, when you have to look at the uh, empty now computer screen and uh, put something on it. And, but I, I, I think I can do it. I think I can. I think I can. Well, I generally don't get into the mechanics of, of writing. Uh, I'm not sure all the readers are interested in that, and it generally comes out the same. But I am really curious with you. Do you outline? Uh, very rough outline, very sketchy outline, just enough to get me going. And I might or might not stick with what I have outlined. Uh, a few times I have just sort of plunged in. I, I had a good first page or you know, situation, a bunch of characters. And so I just plunged in and, and then rewrote as I went along. But I've done it various ways. And I know different writers who are very meticulous in the way they do outlines. And then there are people who just, uh, you know, meander around and then tidy up afterwards. And I, I've done it both ways. And uh, I, I do whatever works at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, when new writers ask me about should you outline or not, I'm like, Stephen King doesn't outline, and J.K. Rowling does. They both seem to do pretty well for themselves. So you decide for yourself. Yep, you do what works. So before I let you go, I want to ask, uh, you've spent 40 years in the gay mystery genre. How do you view the f future of the genre? Well, it seems to be very healthy. Uh, everybody's doing it. I mean, I don't think anybody's making much money at it these days. But with uh, small publishers uh, struggling along and uh, people self-publishing uh, and occasionally one of the mainstream publishers uh, uh, puts something out, but it's very rare now. Uh, but, it, you know, it seems very healthy. I, you know, it's a kind of an embarrassment of... Uh, riches really uh the only problem is i guess that uh people do have to keep their day jobs uh, uh that's that's uh, a shame uh but uh you know I, uh, mysteries generally the whole genre uh, i think has a great future uh it's it's one of the genres that seems to have a a sizable following through uh every era through thick and thin and there will always be uh, gay, lesbian, bi, queer people who want to read about people like themselves. So uh, I, I'm uh, optimistic about it happening uh, and uh, hope that uh, people can find other ways to survive. 
I'm glad you see a bright future in that. I do too as well for yep. basically the same reasons that you gave. So again, want let people know that uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to Killer Reunion, your latest Donald Strachey novel. And I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Richard. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Brad, and thank you. And uh, good luck with uh, your books. Uh, I told you I just read A Body in a Bathhouse and enjoyed it a lot and uh, recommended uh, and recommended highly. Uh, it's a good mystery. And it also, uh, as I mentioned to you, I, I, you know, I think of my own books as being social comedies as much as mysteries. And I thought that yours had a lot of those elements uh, in Body and Bath House did. So congratulations to you. Well, thank you. And the 20 bucks will be in the mail next week. <laughs> oh, 20? <laughs> earlier, you said 27.50. <laughs> well, shipping charge. Okay. And taxing. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, thank Brad. you so much. I appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button wherever you hear our show so you don't miss a single episode. Tell a friend, too. Thank you for listening.